Hey everyone, please listen to this important message that Henry has to share. Hello, my mama says bad words. So please make sure to wear your earmuffs for this week's episode. Finding the right jeans is hard. Accepting your jeans is even harder. Whether you wear boyfriend or bootcut, high rise or low rise, this podcast will teach you to love the jeans you are in. I'm Rachel. And I'm Tina. And we're going to use modern research to bust diet myths and get real about body after baby. We're going to take you on a journey of unpacking your old beliefs about food and weight so you can learn to nourish your body and raise body confident kids. So put your booty in a chair and let's talk mom jeans. Hey listeners, we are excited to tell you about this amazing brand we just discovered called Dia. Their philosophy is to design clothing for women that want great fashion and proper fit in sizes 14 plus. As you learn to embrace your mom jeans, check out Dia to find denim jeans and a complete outfit for your perfect fit. To help you feel fabulous in your mom bod, Dia is offering our listeners an exclusive savings. To get 30% off, head to dia.com, that's D-I-A.com, and use our code MOMGENES, M-O-M-G-E-N-E-S. You can try the clothes on in the comfort of your own home, keep what you love, and always get free shipping and returns. Finally, a brand that has your mom jeans in mind. Visit dia.com and use code MOMGENES to get 30% off your order. Dia is excited to work with us this season, so head to dia.com and use code MOMJEANS to receive 30% off your next Dia order. Okay, now to our episode. We are in a series called Your Story, where our guests will be sharing the story of healing their relationship with their body. Each person's story is unique to them, and we are humbled by their vulnerability and willingness to join us in this space. As a result, we will not be editing out as many numbers, specific behaviors, or details as we normally would. If anyone's story has details that trigger you due to your healing journey, please press pause and take care of yourself. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Hey listeners, welcome back to this episode of Mom Jeans. Today we are excited to welcome Vanessa Hillis and hear their story of body acceptance, or as they bring up the concept of body neutrality. This interview really dives into the many social constructs, especially gender ones, that impact our body story. We are all born as just bodies and souls, and then social constructs, opinions of others, fears, and skewed values from loved ones all impact our awareness of our body and the development of our relationship with our bodies. Vanessa's story highlights how commonplace it is for those assigned female at birth to have a negative body image and to participate in disparaging conversations with other females about our bodies, which confuses us in our pursuit of body neutrality, body trust, and appropriate separation from our body as our entire identity. We want to share this quote from the blog Eating Disorder Hope. For a marginalized group, consolidating such a stereotype against one's identity can be challenging and often individuals experience feelings of dissonance with who they perceive themselves to be and who they want to be, 
Clearly, body image has a connection with some of these societal norms and expectations. Members of the transgender community are at a high risk for developing eating disorders or engaging in disordered eating for a variety of reasons, including societal norms, body image, identity issues, perceived control, to regain control, feeling underdeserving of nourishment. Yeah, on the surface, it might seem as if one's relationship with food and exploration of their gender identity seem unconnected. But as you will hear Vanessa share, the nuanced connection is one that needs to be studied more and spoken of way more often. Overall, the discomfort one feels of being in one's body can come from a variety of sources, and healing this discomfort comes from exactly what we were discussing this season. How one's body story was developed and what steps they are taking to rewrite the story in a preferred narrative that makes them feel empowered, free, and the author of the story. Vanessa shares in this episode an amazing quote, and we challenge you to listen to the episode and see where you can find it. I want to think about my body the same way I think about my kneecaps. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Vanessa before we jump into the episode. Vanessa Lynn Hillis is a trans non-binary parent and partner who started their body acceptance journey after giving birth to their daughter in 2018. Lately, they've been finishing up a master's degree in public policy while working as an operations consultant and playing a fair amount of Animal Crossing New Horizons. Let's get to it. Everyone, welcome to our interview today with Vanessa. So we're going to kick it right off and we're going to really put you on the spot, but tell us a fun fact about you. Ooh. Oh, I've, I've got one. Um, I can only whistle in. I can't whistle out. So I, I can't can only... whistle in. There you go. That is I great. Can't... I love it. And my children also, I because... think, have that whistling situation yeah. going I, on. Because I had a really bad overbite <laughs> growing is... up and it was like the only way my mouth could form it. Thank you. That's a fun fact. anyways okay well we are going to jump in with our questions for today so can you share with our listeners and tell us your body acceptance journey and what has motivated you to embark on that journey yeah I mean I think like a lot of people socialized as girls in this culture I grew up with a lot of messaging that there were things wrong with my body and that um, it, I was you know, worried about being too fat or being having too small of a chest or you know, wanting to be physically desirable and based on certain you know, media prescribed metrics. And um, I really felt like that was normal. Um, it was very normalized. Um, and then, when I got pregnant in 2016, 2018. I was like, uh, I had a baby in not, not 2016. That'd be different. Um, when I was pregnant, and then once I was visibly pregnant, I experienced a level of body confidence that I had never experienced before. And it wasn't just because I felt good and I was excited about my pregnancy. It was it was definitely being reinforced by external feedback from people. So you know, when you're visibly pregnant and you're out at the store, when I was, people would smile, smile at me and like, look at me, look at me and just approvingly. And there was, 
so much warmth and love coming from people because of some way that my body looked. And for the first time, I started feeling comfortable with wearing skin tight clothing and um, uh, wearing clothes that, I mean, I would, there are, you know, things that clung to my belly and showed my hips and showed my butt and really was more, I, I had been more insecure about my belly before. And so my big pregnant belly was like, I was, I mean, skin tight, like you could see my little like gross belly button popping out. Like, but that was like cute and society loves that. And like people love a pregnant body because it was like the first time that my body was doing something and it was like allowed to look like this and everyone approved of it. And yeah, people said like, we'll make comments about types of food you eat when you're pregnant and like give judgment about different things. But like overall, it's like, great. People, people love that you're pregnant and they love that your body is big when you're pregnant. And, or at least in my experience. Um, and it's like, it was, it felt really, really good. And I, I remember that feeling. And then after I had the baby and I mean, towards the end, people, you know, I, I had other pregnant friends and they would talk about like worrying about the changes that were happening to their body. And I wasn't really worried about mine. Like I didn't get a uh, stretch marks until the very last few like days, I think. And like, I wasn't, you know, I'd always felt big. And so I wasn't really worried about like ending up bigger than I started at, after the pregnancy, because I was like, whatever, like, I could lose weight again, or, you know, like people, I, I just felt like I wasn't really worried about that. But then after I was done being pregnant, after I had a baby, it was like, my body was immediately subject to monitoring and criticism again. And it wasn't direct. No one was saying like, it wasn't, no one, no one was saying specific, like you should lose weight or, but that's like absolutely the message of get your body back or or even like positive things like love your mom bod or love your tiger stripe, like all these things like about the way your body looks and, and it was either positive or negative. And I, I was, I remember, um, I went to my husband's work Christmas party, five weeks postpartum, which what? looking back, I'm like, that's crazy. Oh I don't know gosh. why I was just like, I, I was like, I planned in advance. I was like, I'm definitely going to go. I'll be fine. It was like such a weird night. I, had, I hadn't been around people in five weeks. It was bonkers. So I go out and my husband introduced me to one of his colleagues and she did a full sweep look up and down on my body and was like, oh, you look amazing. I can't believe you just had a baby. And I'm like, ah, why are you looking at me like this? It was just so, it just felt so uncomfortable. And it was, and she was approving. And I got a lot of approval right after my pregnancy as well, because my quote body bounced back, which just meant like, I feel like I was always just kind of big. And so being a little bit bigger after pregnancy, like didn't seem unusual for my body. I don't know. Like, but there was all this weird approval or, or judgment or all these messages about my body again. And it, and it my body was no longer right. My body was no longer just fine and perfect. Cause it was, it was no longer doing something important, like making a person. It was just a body that, you know, carried me around and like helped me live my life. And, you know, just all the stuff that bodies do that are really, really great, but nobody cares about because it doesn't look a certain way or I don't know. Right. It's interesting that you say that you bring up the two dichotomies where it was like, okay, I've always struggled with my body image and it's been under this scrutinous eye. And then the moment I'm 
the moment I actually look pregnant, right, people are approving of my body all of a sudden. But then the moment the baby is out of my body, it's back to that scrutiny. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I think that like that feeling of lack of acceptance, like having felt it during my pregnancy and and then losing it really made the returning to the baseline level of monitoring and criticism and, 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 you know, external messages about my body that made it so much more distinct. It made it so, so much more obvious to me before it had just felt like a baseline of, you know, whatever, this is just the way the world is. And then like, it just really, so that it was just, it was just so, I just was, I felt it so distinctly. So it sounds like then returning to the criticism and the constant preoccupation or discrimination of your body felt off because you had actually felt what body acceptance felt like during your pregnancy. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I, I got a taste of it during my pregnancy when it was taken away, it felt so much worse than before when I just didn't have it. I didn't know what I was missing. Yeah. 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 And then I, I mean, also right after you have a kid, you're also being judged on so many other things, or even if you, I mean, I don't know if a lot of it's also hormones, your, your body's recovering from your hormones are recovering and you're getting all these weird messages about what you should be wearing and what you should be feeding your kid and what you should be, how you should be taking care of your kid and how your kid should sleep and all these things. Like there's a lot of external pressures and my reaction to those pressures and the body pressures was to get angry about it and to find a way to not find research or, or tools so that I could combat it and, you know, not feel like I needed to listen to those messages. So like reading about different like myth buster things about child development and about baby care and then also about body image and the way uh, marketing and just our culture just really puts all these pressures and rules on on our bodies. Um, But yeah, so that's really that, that's like really what motivated me to start achieving what I can, what I, my goal of body neutrality, like, like I want to think about my body the same way I think about my kneecaps, which is like, I don't really think about them. Like they're working and that's fine. And I don't have any moral associations with the way my kneecaps look. And I don't, yeah, I I really would love for that to be the way I view my entire body. Like our kneecaps. I love that. Right? Trust me, I'm writing that down right now. You're writing it down. Yeah. We don't we don't stress about like, oh, are my kneecaps functioning correctly? Like, do I need to somehow control how much my knee bends or like am I overextending or is there a certain kneecap like exercise? I'm gonna exercise my kneecap right now. That's what's happening. Yes. Should I get some sort of surgery on my kneecaps to meet some societal ideal? I know. Well, then we also have to come into the angle of like, if you do have sore knees, make sure you get care of for that. You know, like yeah, sure. If there's if I start noticing something about my kneecaps, like I should see if I need to do something to help them. But like that's exactly how I treat my body too. Like I never think about my kneecaps. And I, so I do caveat, I'm sure if I were like a sports person, I would think more about my knees because like they need them more. But I get what you're saying. Like, 
You don't obsess about your kneecaps. Yeah. Yeah. I never think about my kneecaps. Where did this, that journey take you? Because you kind of had the, the dichotomy of those experiences. Whenever we have experiences like that, I think of that Plinko game in Price is Right, where the information kind of enters and kind of Plinko's it way, its way down and through our systems, through our experiences, our lived experiences, our beliefs, our values, it kind of settles. So I'm kind of curious where it ended up settling for you and, and where you came out from that. I love that analogy. Yeah. <laughs> love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was actually a really transformative experience for me because so I, it started with being angry that I didn't feel good about my body or, or that I that I was ha- that I was thinking about my body too much and thinking about how I looked and and worrying too much about different aspects of my life and external pressures um, about those choices and and ways that things were existing. So I've started reading a book called Beauty Sick, which is um, very my type of book. It's uh, written by I, I'm going to get this probably wrong, but she is a psychologist who works at a university, and she did all of these psychological studies on willing participants who are students of the school. So the, the caveat is this is a, and she even makes this caveat herself. It's a very cis, hetero, white, young pool of um, respondents. And uh, so she has all these studies and then the book also has all these like anecdotes and interviews with people, which is not as much my my preference, but it was nice to have it in there, you know. Um, and she, like researches how body positivity works, like quote body positivity and the body positivity movement and, you know, different strategies people have used to combat, uh, combat body self-consciousness and, you know, like, oh, like they're Photoshopping too many images. Like maybe if we add a, a disclaimer on Photoshopped images, it'll make people feel less upset about it. Or like women will feel less Need, less a need to compare themselves to that image if they know it's photoshopped. And through all of her studies, she found that like most of these common strategies, like the idea of like embrace your skin, love your body, most of these strategies actually make people feel worse about their bodies. So even like physical compliments make people feel worse about their bodies and about their appearance through these studies, through these like responses from people. Um, and it's a subconscious reaction. People, when when a person is physically complimented, especially um, women uh, or people perceived as women, um, they get uh, more self-conscious about their appearance. So if if, when, a, when a woman is physically complimented about, let's say, her shirt or her hair or her, or her weight loss, she becomes, even if she's flattered by that compliment and she thinks it feels good, she also becomes aware again that she's being monitored. Her appearance is being constantly monitored by society and it's up for people's approval. So when uh, getting an an external approval from someone you did not ask external approval from is just another reminder that you need to be pleasing people with the way that you look. And so um, through like thinking about that and like digging into the things that I was doing to make people happier or to please people with my appearance, I started really digging into just these certain rules I had created for myself uh, about, you know, things I was and wasn't allowed to wear and ways I was and wasn't allowed to, to wear my hair or with makeup choices or the amount of weight I was allowed to have in my body. Um, because I have small breasts, so I, I couldn't ever be, and, and I have the kind of breasts that don't grow when I gain weight. So I have to stay thin because 
I need to be, if I have small breasts, I have to be thin because I can't be a big person with small breasts. Like they're not going to get bigger. You know, I had all these rules for myself based on what I thought was acceptable for my body to be. And in digging through those rules, I realized, and I think just with, you know, as part of this process, I was just really thinking about the way I viewed myself. Um, it, I realized that I am trans non-binary. <laughs> so it really like it kind of blew my mind on uh, June 9th of 2019. I realized I am trans non-binary and I have always been trans non-binary. Um, and I really think that I didn't figure it out sooner because of, well, of internalized homophobia, sure. But also, I really think that it was so normalized to dislike and be un feel uncomfortable with my body. It, it just, it was so normalized for girls to just think like, oh, my body's weird and I, I just feel awkward or I'm, I'm just not pretty enough or I don't feel, you know, I want my boobs to be bigger. It's so normalized in our society to just not like your body that it just felt normal to not like my body. And it felt normal to, and there are all these pressures from the outside world saying you should wear this, you shouldn't wear that. So it felt normal to me that I had all of these specific rules for myself. And um, not until I started digging into this, did I realized that some of these rules weren't really about body image, they were about gender. And it was, um, you know, I wouldn't, if I had my, if I cut my hair short, then I needed to wear more makeup or I needed to wear earrings to show that I wasn't a man, I don't know. Um, to I mean, I it was also internalized homophobia because I, I would get perceived. I would people would just assume I was a lesbian, but I'm I am bisexual. I, I I consider myself pansexual, so I'm attracted to men and women, and it would bother me to be categorized as les a lesbian, which is internalized homophobia. There's nothing wrong with being a lesbian, but it bothered me because that's not who I am, and it bothered me when people would assume that so i would i followed these rules that made it less likely or made people think are that that made me present more female i think for listeners listening people listening trans non-binary is that vanessa does not attach to a gender your pronouns are they them as selected and you do not define as a male or a female yeah i'm a person that's how i identify yeah and I think what you're sharing is so important. And I hope like at least someone listening goes, oh my gosh, yes, right? Where you've created all these rules that have been ingrained in us, right? Mm -hmm. And you and I, Vanessa and I know each other outside of this moment, but you and I have talked about this with like our kids and, you know, your kid, you really dress in very gentle gender neutral items i do the same with my child as well but like people push that on to us at su from such a young age to then as you become an adult and so with these internalized rules the natural way that you're feeling and thinking gets shoved down and shoved down and shoved down and eventually it comes out but it's coming out into body insecurity or just, just this rigidity that you're having to follow. And it seems like as soon as you entered into this phase of pregnancy, your certain phase in pregnancy, that that became lifted because of whatever reason. I don't want to put a spot in there. 
I mean, I was obviously female. I was obviously a woman because I, I was, I was doing the thing that women do, which is have babies. And I was being a woman, like visibly, I was visibly being a woman doing something that only cis women with uteruses can do. Right. Which, which is not true. Which is not true. Yeah. But also like, that's what it, you know, that's, I, I, yeah, I don't, it, yeah. No one ever thought I was a lesbian anymore because I was pregnant and no one ever thought I was not a woman because I was pregnant and I was also had my hair longer because I wouldn't let myself cut my hair anymore. But yeah, it definitely was tied in with gender as absolutely. Now, how has this body image journey been impacted or how do you move forward with this due to your exploration and identification of your gender identity? Yeah. I mean, I think um, it was really freeing to realize that I'm not a woman. And um, even saying the word woman makes me kind of uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> but it made me really, um, it was really, really freeing because I didn't have to follow the rules that women have to follow anymore. And there are so many rules. It's like, you it, women are supposed to like sugary drinks. Women are supposed to um crave chocolate all the time and <laughs> women are supposed to work out in a very specific way because they want to be lean and thin they don't want to be muscular so as soon as i it was like as soon as i realized i was trans non-binary i was like oh i'm allowed to work out however i want and obviously i could have done that before as well but it was just so much harder before and, and it was so much hard. And I really like, so I started following male fitness blogs or like not blogs, but like, like looking up male fitness articles and, and advice. And it was like a lot simpler because men's advice seemed to be clearer and less confusing. It seems like there's a lot of weird messaging to women that it's like, if you're not doing this one thing exactly right, then you're just, there's not even a point to doing it. Or like, you know, don't eat bananas because they make you have belly fat and don't. Which is not true. Italians, it's not, I know. Uh, but uh, yeah, stuff about, there's just so many rules about, about the, and then there's, and then, so that's like just when it comes to, if you're moving your body, you're supposed to want certain things. When you're moving your body, you have to have all these specific goals. And if you aren't doing it exactly right, then you're just wasting your time. And there's all this pressure to have your body look a certain way. But when you're presenting, I, I found that when I'm presenting more masculinely, when I have a shorter haircut and I wear clothes that are marketed to men, I find that people don't even like notice my appearance. They, there's like, maybe someone might compliment if they like a shirt I'm wearing or something, but they don't, there's not as much feedback from the outside world about how I look. And I mean, just looking around a room that has, um, has a, a variety of genders in it, it, men's bodies are allowed to be a lot of different shapes um, and still considered attractive. I mean, watch, look at TV and it's like, you can find a man in a big body married to a hot lady like it, and that guy is still considered hot too and it's but his body's bigger like there's just a, a wider range of, of of acceptability of male bodies and i know they still have issues too but it they just have there's a wider range of acceptability um and that so that was really freeing to like just start thinking about myself and reframing my thoughts and actions and clothing choices and exercise choices around like well would a man do this? Does a man, if I, 
if would a man be allowed to do this? Like what do men have to do? Because the rules are very different. And just kind of reframing those rules for myself was was just really eye-opening. And I'm not a man, but in our world, it's our world is really structured in the gender binary. So really there wasn't like an other option of like, well, what are exercises for non-binary people? What do people who just have bodies want to do to feel good about their bodies? And how to move your body as yeah, a person. Every, this is everything yes. is male or female. Um so I but I started buying clothes marketed to men, which are much more comfortable. They're looser and more functional. Um, which is why that's how I dress my daughter a lot of the time is in clothes that are marketed to boys because those clothes are more functional. So I don't really think about dressing her as like gender neutral necessarily. It's just, I dress her in functional clothing based on her ability to move and interact with the world. So when she was younger, I didn't put dresses on her because they would impede her crawling. And that seemed like a bummer to like impede my child's movement just because this dress is cute. And so now she's older and is like running, God help me. Uh, and I put dresses on her now because it's way easier than taking pants on and off to change her diaper. And so I know. it's so convenient, just one piece of clothing that she will get covered in blueberries or whatever, so. In our intro episode, we interviewed a narrative therapist who posed the journal prompt, who would you be if no one told you who you were? And I feel like that's kind of what you're touching on now as part of your body story. Yeah. And I think that's really powerful to go, you know, I'm going to let go of a lot of the social constructs and do some inner work of who am I and what makes me feel comfortable in my body. And, and that's where my body acceptance comes from. My body healing comes yeah. from. That feels really powerful. Who who would I be if no one had ever told me who I was or however I phrased it? That sounds, oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine. Um, but yeah, that's what I've been playing around with. Well, if I didn't have to do, if I didn't feel like I had to follow these certain societal rules, who would I be and what would I do? And it's been really, really freeing and really, really nice. It, it's not only more, I, I not only feel more physically comfortable, I feel more confident. Um, when I was wearing clothes marketed to women or, or following these, when I was like trying to dress according to certain rules, um, I, I was, I was really uncomfortable and it was, it wasn't necessarily like physically, like the clothes were too tight or it was just like, I would be fidgety. And like, I felt like I couldn't slouch at all because, you know, I had to, I had to hide my little belly and I would always like tug at my shirts and adjust myself. And before going up for a presentation, I would like really like make sure everything was in order. And I realized once I started wearing clothes that were more comfortable and they, those were all all typically clothes marketed towards men or clothes that didn't fit the rules that I had set for myself before. So looser fitting shirts and um, pockets, pants with really good pockets, which are usually pants that are marketed to men. I realized I wasn't, I wasn't body, I, I wasn't monitoring my own body as much. I stopped really looking in the mirror because I knew I didn't have anything to do in the mirror. Like there was no makeup, there was no hair to adjust. Like I didn't need to look in the mirror because I already looked fine. Like there was nothing, I didn't need to check myself. I wasn't having to adjust my clothing. I, I, it was just, it was nice. It was, it was just like a whole bunch of brain space freed up to do other things. How do you feel like if you do get pregnant again, how do you feel that experience will be for you now? I think it'll still be horrible and great, just like all pregnancy. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, 
I, so it's weird. I realized the last four months, five months, where are we in this quarantine journey? I, I've been cloistered in my home. We've, I'm extremely privileged. My family's extremely privileged. We have not had to leave the house since March. Um, I have gone out for a couple of things tentatively and it makes me so scared. I don't do it anymore. Um, we've been able to do grocery delivery. My husband works from home. Everything I've done is virtual. We are extremely privileged. I have realized that living in this house bubble where I'm not interacting with the outside world, I feel so much freer. I was like, wow, I feel really like, I haven't felt weird about gender in a while. Like I don't feel weird at all. And I'm like, oh, it's because there's no one from the outside telling me how to feel or what I'm supposed to look like or giving me feedback on my body that I didn't ask for. And it's been really, really nice. So it's hard to imagine being pregnant and out in society again, because it's hard to imagine being out in society again. Um, I do know that sometimes like at the beginning, I know it's only been a year. I'm like, this is, I'm still in the beginning of my gender journey. So at the very beginning, I definitely felt really defensive if I was wearing all men, male clothing and someone still sheed me because I don't, I mean, I don't really get bothered by strangers using she pronouns with me because what do they know? Like, I'm just a person and there, our whole society is structured around that. That doesn't mean it's okay. I'm just saying it doesn't bother me. Um, but when someone would he, would she me, I, I don't think I was ever heed, um, which is crazy because I was wearing all men's clothing and like trans men exist. Like why didn't it was, I just felt very unseen. So, um, I think it'll be interesting to be so, to be visibly pregnant and I don't know. I don't know how it's going to make me feel. Um, I just say, I can't imagine being around people again. So I don't know. <laughs> we might just stay like this forever. I know. We're, <laughs> this is, We're just going to become this hermits. This is what true quarantine is like. I don't know what people are like anymore. Right? <laughs> yeah. I went out um, once and I had pink hair and like three different people commented on my hair. And I was like, this is really weird. And then I was like, oh, right. Like that's what people do. They like comment on your appearance when you're out in public. They just do that. But it is weird when a stranger says something to you about your sure. appearance. It's just like, hi. Totally. Yeah. And then it's like, yeah, I don't know. I, it's even weirder when a stranger compliments your appearance and then denigrates themselves, which is, which happened to me when I was picking up a takeout order the other day or the other month. I don't know what day it is. Um, this woman was like, oh, your hair is so great. It's so thick. And then she was like, don't turn 40. My hair is so thin. And I'm like, I guess I'll try not to get older. <laughs> what a weird thing to tell someone. Right. And I was like, why are oh you? Oh my, it just shows right. that inner body, yeah. that inner insecurity. And that's the thing about right? being a woman too. Like you're supposed to hate your body. You're supposed to talk bad about it. I've never heard of my husband and his guys got surfing and be like, oh man, wish I had your whatever. <laughs> like I hate my whatever. They just are like, dude, let's move, you know. So <laughs> let's let's shred the gnar, man. Yeah, exactly. But again, it is. It's a, it's a social construct. This is how females are supposed to talk and supposed to look and supposed to interact and communicate. And there's so many social constructs that we're. I think we go about life without even realizing until your, to your point, your body acceptance journey made you take a really good critical lens at all of that. So could you share us a little bit about your why quote unquote for healing your relationship with your body yeah um ultimately my why is me 
because I deserve to be happy and to feel good about myself and, and to be, to feel vital and strong and healthy. Like I deserve to feel those things. Um, and so really I am my why I, I, like I deserve that why. to feel good. Yeah. You do. Uh, I mean, I think I'm also, I'm also extra motivated by the fact that I am raising a girl child in this world. And, um, I know society is really hard on women and I mean, they're hard on, hard on everyone. Um, and I'm just, I want to be the best I can be so that I can heal some of the, the, the history of family dysfunction that, that I grew up within so that I don't pass any of that down to her. And I mean, I'm sure I'll ruin her somehow, but it's not going to be with body image or with food issues because, because she deserves to have a healthy relationship with her body too. And with her food and you know, we all do. So, so what messages based off of that? Why, if you're doing that inner exploration and, and you're coming to a place that's saying, I'm going to shift this family legacy, like I'm not going to pass it down. Right. If, if, if listeners and parents are relating to that same motivation and same goal, what would you want to share to them kind of navigating that same journey? Yeah. I mean, I know this sounds like a cliche, but it's a journey. (laughs) There's no, I think I'm realizing there's no end goal. There's no, there's not going to be an, ah, I'm done moment. Um, and because of that, um, I think, I think it's important to cut yourself some slack. Like it's, you're, I'm just a person. Um, and I'm not talking about my gender. I'm a human being. I'm a person just trying to function in this world and I'm doing my best. And it's awesome that I have the privilege to work on these things about myself so that I can feel my best and then also be a better parent, hopefully, and be a good example to my kid. But I'm still just a person. I'm just a human person trying to get through. And I think just like, I think a message I tell myself is that like, this isn't my fault. I'm not, it's not my fault that I have dysfunctional thoughts about food or body image. This is the water we swim in. Our, our culture has a lot of problems with food and body image and gender and, um, and it's not my fault. And it's my responsibility to, to try to acknowledge those things. And I have the privilege and the time to do that. But um, I, I, I didn't do anything wrong. This isn't my fault. Um, and also, um, I haven't ruined my kid already. That's, a, that's like a fear I have, especially coming from a family history of, of abuse and, and, and like dysfunctional, a lot of dysfunctional behaviors. I, I do have fear of, of like repeating uh, family mistakes or, you know, just, I don't want to ruin my kid. And I know a lot of people can relate to that of like, I don't want to ruin them. Like I want to give them the best. And like, there's really no best. Um, there's just your best. (laughs) Um, and (laughs) we just have to do our best. I mean, I, I mean, whatever. And whatever, sometimes my best is, is literally, I ignore my kid and I turn on the TV and I just sit alone by myself next to her and yep. that's great. Like she's, she's healthy, healthy and happy and fine. And clapping to that. I am getting a mental break and I shouldn't feel guilty when I do those things because she's a kid and she's fine. And 
I and and you are a person and you need that at points. So we've got to throw that in. Yeah. yeah, that's another thing. Once a woman becomes a parent, she's supposed to be super mom and like supposed to care, put her kids before everything else. She's supposed to put her kids above work and above her personal health. And she's supposed to spend hours preparing intricate meals, all of this work. I just heard uh, a quote, mom guilt is a social construct. Yeah. Absolutely. I was like, oh, that's so good. That's so good. Let it go. We've all been watching Frozen. Let it go. But it's a social construct, yeah. which is Let interesting, right? Ugh, yeah. no, you're right. It's it is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hashtag let's watch Moana again. Hashtag let it go, parents. That's mm-hmm. Well, what what resources can you share with parents that you felt have been helpful for you? I know you shared that first book in the beginning. Yeah, Beauty Sick, I thought was really helpful. Just it's called um, Beauty Sick. And I think the subtitle is how beauty culture is harmful for women and young girls. Okay. Yeah, um, that was good. Um, Ellen Satter's Rules for Feeding. You guys talk about Division of Responsibility. Division of Responsibility, which is really hard. It's hard to remember. I know. Um, I've been. I've been talking with a dietitian who promotes, who practices intuitive eating and health at every size. And that has been really helpful, but it is hard. And, and trying to stick to those rules is really hard because I literally, like I had a meeting with my dietitian and this, this, we had a meeting one, one week where we talked about the rules and I was like, yeah, I understand the rules. You give the kid a variety, they pick what they want to eat, if anything, and you give them as much of that as you have available slash one, like slash, if you don't want to, you know, whatever, as much of that thing that they want, they're allowed to have it. And then the whole week I was thinking about it and I was like, yeah, I'm doing this. And then I have also recently given my daughter cookies for the first time because we weren't giving her sugar before because I didn't know how important it was. And I was like in this headspace that sugar and carbs are bad, which I feel I'm, I don't feel bad about it though. Cause it's the water we swim in. It's not my fault. Um, but so I'm trying to implement these things together. And at the next meeting with my dietitian, I had this, I had to talk with her again. And I said, so yeah, like the rules, the division of responsibility, does that mean for cookies too? Like, and, and she was like, yeah, you read Ellen Satter's rules or division. And I'm like, yeah, I know you've given them it. And I said the whole thing again. And she's like, yeah. And I was like, but cookies too? As many cookies? Yeah. I keep giving her cookies. And it, she's like, yeah, yes. Yeah. That's how it works. And it's like, it just feels so wrong because of the way that I've been raised and the, and the messages I get from everyone else and, and the outside, not everyone, you know, the outside world. It just feels so wrong. I was like, pickles too? Like she can have as many pickles as she wants? Like it just seems wrong to give a kid 17 pickles. She's not going to eat 17 pickles. Oh, you don't know my kid. They were sliced pickles. Okay. I'm like, she is not going to eat 17 whole damn pickles. No, she isn't. No, but she will eat 17 slices of pickles. Sure. Okay. So Ellen Satter's Division of Responsibility. Yeah. Um... I mean, this podcast Thank you. has been really nice and helpful. Oh, woo-woo. Um, okay. And I, I would say if, if listeners, if you are privileged enough to have the time and insurance and monetary resources, take an hour a week for yourself and find a counselor that you like. Um, I've been in counseling for over a year with the same person, and that's the longest time I've been in counseling, but continuous counseling, and it's been so nice. To, to just, I went, entered counseling when I was in what I felt like was a crisis. 
And I stuck with it even after I felt better, which I've never done before. And it's really allowed me to, to think about and, and stay focused on myself and my mental health for the whole last year, throughout every month, every week, not just when I feel bad, but even when I feel good, like thinking about what, what's making me feel good and like, what does this really mean? And, you know, yes, it's just I really think that's, to stay present. I think that's so important of what you're saying. Like, Working on our mental health, it does not need to be crisis management. It can be like, this is really just a self-care practice. I am doing this. Even when things are amazing, I engage in mental health, self-care. So yeah, if you have the resources and insurance coverage, hopefully, to see a therapist or dietitian, that would be awesome. So, And it's been convenient during... This sounds terrible. I'm like this. The positive thing about quarantine is everything's going virtual, which has been really easy for me because now I'm a stay-at-home parent or a full-time parent while I'm also trying to finish school and stuff. Fingers crossed that that stays the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's been so convenient to be able to do virtual because you don't have to find parking or, especially, I'm someone with anxiety. I've also, I'm also on anti-anxiety meds, and it's been amazing. Awesome. Take meds if you need them. They, they're great. And there's nothing wrong with that. It can really help. Well, awesome. Well, thanks, Vanessa, for coming on the podcast and chatting with us and sharing your story. We appreciate it. Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. We hope you felt inspired and moved by this week's story. Please reach out to the person interviewed to connect with them in the ways they listed, or you can check out our social media pages at Mom Jeans the Podcast for details on the episode and to find our guest's information. If you love the episode, please leave us a rating and review us on iTunes and recommend this episode to a friend. We are sending you the inner strength to accept your jeans with a G and wear the jeans with a J. Bye. This episode of Mom Jeans was produced and edited by Rachel Coleman and Tina LaBoy. Just a reminder, this episode is not a substitute for therapeutic counsel or nutrition advice. Thank you to Jerry DePizzo for the music production. You can find episode information and show notes at www.momjeansthepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at momjeansthepodcast. And join the Mom Jeans the Podcast Facebook group to find a community of mamas learning to love their bodies and discussing the episodes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mom Jeans. See you next time.